outside the box. Hello and welcome to Marches Outside the Box. I'm Hannah Dunleavy. I never say that. I'm Hannah Dunleavy. Claim it, mate. Own it. Just just own it. <laughs> Whenever you walk into a room, I'd like you to go, Ish, yes, I'm Hannah Dunleavy. <laughs> yeah, I've been Hannah Dunleavy. Good night. I am joined by, as ever, Mickey Noonan. I'm Mickey Noonan. <laughs> and Jen Offord. I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> Only aesthetically, Jen. Mm. I, I really want to put weapon of choice on now and see if Jen can fly. What is what is this though? What, what what is happening here? It's your hair. It's doing a thing. Yeah, it's sort of close, Mickey. It's not bad. Needs a bit of work. <laughs> Gives me something to do this evening. Okay, let's start with a bit of news. We're five. Only five sleeps till succession. <gasps> only five <gasps> sleeps. And by the time you're listening to this, I think it'll only be like three sleeps till succession. We've missed a trick, haven't we? We could have made and sold a succession advent calendar for this countdown because it is, yeah. they've officially announced, the last ever season. Yeah. Mickey, I believe you also have newsy type things to impart. I do. I have exciting for me telly news and sad for me telly news. Anyone is welcome to join either or both of those parties. So which do you want first? Let's go with the bad news first. Okay, oh. a big... <laughs> Well, no, but then you end on a high note. Yeah, Come yeah, on, Jen, no, you're a fair, journalist. Uh, That's fair. how you do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I prefer a shit sandwich, but in the absence of a second piece well, of good news, I suppose Succession was the good news. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. This is the the shit. A big boo to Paramount Plus because they are exclusively screening Yellow Jacket series two. Oh, that is sad. What does that mean? It's not coming to Sky. It's not going to be on Now TV. It's not going to be on Sky. It's only on Paramount Plus. And I just and who's got cannot. Paramount Plus? Yeah, and I just cannot with another. Subscription. Is Paramount Plus even available over here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yours for an extra six ninety nine a month on top of it's anything so else you're paying for telly. Nines, isn't it? Like it it's, it's a lot. Presumably, you can just get a freebie when the series is over and watch it all in That's a week my plan, or a month. Or but it means I have to wait another two and a half months when I've been very excited about it landing at the same time as Succession and having incredible television to watch. I mean, I'll cope. Don't get me wrong, I will cope. But it is a bit like, I did wonder why they weren't advertising it Mm. in the same way that they've been really heavily advertising Succession and Perry Mason. I did wonder where Yellow Jackets was. Yeah, they've not been trailing it. They've been trailing the first first season. No, first season you can still watch on Now TV or Sky. Which, if you haven't, I recommend you do. Then wait 10 weeks and get a free trial of Paramount Plus so you can catch up on season two. Give me some better news now, then. Exciting news. Although, Hannah, I'm not sure you're going to be on board with this being excited, to be honest with you. Disney are adapting Jilly Cooper's Rivals and the cast is chef's kiss, gold star, winning ticket. I saw you post something about this on the gram, Mick, and I don't know anything about Rivals it's not my genre. Never read any of her stuff, but I did see the cast, and it—that's it, almost enough for me to be like, okay, I'm in. I know, I know. I mean, and, and not everyone loves a bonkbuster, but I, her writing is beautiful, if incredibly problematic in lots of ways. But yeah, so Rivals <laughs> is the second in her Rupture Chronicles, and it's about rival independent TV makers in the 1980s, the mid-1980s. Who doesn't want to watch that? It's so fucking relevant. Anyway, Hannah, the thing that might swing it for you is David Tennant is playing a very naughty, devious character. Yeah, Um, I like a bit of bad Tennant. Brilliantly pantomime villainly named Tony Baddingham. (laughs) Oh, Ah. Jilly, I love you, you (laughs) rascal. We've got rugged Aidan Turner playing Declan O'Hara, who, oh yeah, yeah, lovely stuff. And Catherine Parkinson as Lizzie Verica, who is my favourite woman in this book. She's a romantic novelist, kind of overlooked and undermined by her very preening newsreader husband who thinks he is the dog's bollocks. The cast is just incredible. That's just three off the top of my head. It's got... I love Catherine Parkinson. It's got such a great cast. I am intrigued to see how they adapt the breathtaking sexism the casual racism the unapologetic domestic violence and incredible class sniffery that's going to be an interesting watch but yeah it's uh she's she's seen me through some tough times jilly so i'm excited 
to see it on the telly. And it's so tellingly Dilly Cooper because she is a she's sort of a man's woman and very open about that. And that in the pictures around this of Dilly Cooper, she's just surrounded by the male cast. That's it. <laughs> mm. Interesting. I wonder why they've decided to do it now. Right. Right. A- agreed. Agreed. Maybe it's because she's 85 and they're like, ooh, let's get one on the telly. Say, is she still with us? Perhaps she's still knocking out novels, Jen. There was one out a couple of years ago. I think it was called Mount! Exclamation mark or something. (laughs) They usually are. Score! Exclamation mark. Wang! Dry (laughs) hub. Basically. Oh, it's not dry. It's never dry. Uh, The one thing that... Was it in Mount? I think it might have been in Mount where Rupert Campbell Black, obviously Jilly's favourite character, but also the most problematic character... He starts referring to someone he's having an affair with, and I'm sorry because this once you've heard this, it's not going anywhere as buttercunt. Oh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Blimey, <laughs> Mickey, you froze then that moment, oh. so there was a big bit of drama no, as to what I was, was like, going to be. Not now, please. One more thing I wanted to mention in the news section because I have no intention of reviewing it. The BBC have released a spin-off to uh, Death in Paradise, which is oh. called. Fucking hell. Which is called Beyond Paradise, in which Chris Marshall, who used to be in it, apparently, has moved back to the UK and now lives in Seaside Devon, solving crimes. And I just I just wanted to do a big shrug because I would say the only positive thing that I could say about Death in Paradise is that it has a really diverse cast because it's set in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And now here we are in... It feels like a real step to the 1970s. I've not watched it. Might be brilliant. And it's on on a Friday night. Mother of God. That's (laughs) Friday night entertainment. Wowzers. I've found another pair of glasses in my pocket. Um, It's not all bad news. I'm interested to know. I've never watched it. Either of them. Like any iteration of Death in Paradise. I've never watched it. The viewing figures must be a lot better than I imagine they are. You'd think so. Okay. So, let's make a start. We might as well start with drama. I've actually, because we're going to be quite drama heavy coming up soon, and by that I mean I intend to talk about Succession for a long, long time. (laughs) Uh, I've got quite a lot of documentaries this time, but I'll just start with a couple of dramas. Last three episodes of The Last of Us. Interesting thing about this is, Spoke to my brother and my nephew about this. Episode 7, 8 and 9, the three we haven't talked about. My brother said episode 7 was the best one. My nephew said episode 8 was the best one. I thought episode 9 was the best one. So it truly has something for everybody. Mm-hmm. I thought it ended, yeah, with a big moral question at the end of it, which I quite liked. It also had a nod to its origins at the end in that part of it became what I believe they call player shooter or something like that, as in it was it was shot Kind of like you would watch it if you were watching a video game, which I thought was was quite a nice touch at the end. Um, and I'm excited to see more. It has quite a lot of shot for shot shots. Um, there's been quite a lot of comparisons mm. where people put up what they filmed of the game and how it has been in the TV series. And it is absolutely shot for shot, expression for expression with the characters. But that episode nine with Joel in the hospital trying to get to Ellie was yeah absolutely shot for shot episode nine was my favorite out of those three as well I think the moral question is fascinating and the reaction to it has been absolutely amazing because everyone wanted Joel to be a hero and he's not but he never has been which is interesting that people kind of forgot Mm. and just wanted him to be and it feels like this moral question was always going to raise its head and obviously Rutina Wesley's character back in episode six does say to ellie be careful who you put your trust in it's the ones that you know we love the most can let us down the most and that has that has come i was going to say to bite her on the arse but biting's pretty bad in this series but you know it's come home to roost i guess is a better way of putting it but yeah what a brilliant series and i love that it didn't just go oh well viewers a lot of viewers will want joel to be a hero so we're going to skip this ambiguity And they just went with it and went with the storyline. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you mean by hero, because at points he does do some things that I would describe as relatively heroic, as in he puts himself in a lot of danger. But 
his motivation is the question of whether or not that makes him a hero, I think. Yes, agreed. I absolutely agree with you. It's, um, you know, it's that no one is all good or all bad. We all have very yeah. different shades of grey. And his reasoning and the reasons he does stuff, particularly in episode nine, is selfish. And it is selfish. But I also think it's incredibly relatable what he does in series nine. Oh, in, yeah. I'm sorry, in episode nine. And I think you could actually probably put a defence together of it because I kind of did to my nephew. I, I still manned Joel is still a, a good guy uh, with my nephew and uh, it was possible. Oh, OK. I don't think Joel is a good guy and I think that's fine. I think it's I don't think he's a bad guy, but I don't think he's a good guy. No, like I say, I still manned it. Mm. I, I was I, We were trying to put the best argument forward. OK. Right, let's move on to Unforgotten, Series 5, available on ITVX. Now, I want to point out, if you watch ITVX online, it has a flaw. And it might be a built-in flaw, it might be deliberate, or it might not be. Or it might just affect me. Because I watched this, and I watched it all in one go, and the ending was quite complex and complicated. And I realised I couldn't really remember what it was. So I went back to watch episode six again, and it will not let me. Oh, I have already watched it once. It will not let me watch it again. Interesting, because I do oh. agree with you about the exposition of the ending, which takes up like nearly a whole episode. Yeah. I've watched it all, by the way, now. Oh, good. So we can talk freely. Okay, in that case, spoilers there will be spoilers to the end of i was writing something down and i thought oh god if jen hasn't watched the end of it i can't say anything so good that you have okay so it has a new lead i suppose you could step in and start watching it now it has a new lead sinead keenan who has taken over from nicola walker who died at the end of series four Mm. now when we talked about this at the end of series four i said i wasn't a huge fan of sinead keenan's style of acting so i was a little bit I was a little bit uncertain of how things would go. And <laughs> you're basically, sorry, you're basically the sunny in this scenario. Yeah. Well, interestingly, Jen, you said that you weren't sure if you were going to watch it because you thought that the bench wasn't very deep with talent and Nicola Walker was the main talent, which I was actually kind of gobsmacked by considering, you know, this has had Tom Courtney, Gemma Jones, Adil Akhtar, Alec Jennings, Susan Lynch, like seriously great cast. And so I was like, even if Sinead Keenan isn't very good, I think the rest of the cast will carry it through. Absolutely. I have to say almost the opposite happened as I was expecting. I thought she panned out quite well. I thought the introduction, that the way they introduced her and that no one liked her. And it was probably quite easy for her to get to that space given that she also was stepping into some a new job mm-hmm. where people have been working together for a really long time. So I thought she panned out quite well. I thought it lacked that heft of talent across its supporting cast. No offence to the people who were in it. I thought Martina Laird was very good and she's coming up in Dreamland, which I've also watched, but we will talk about that another time because I've seen it on the preview. I thought she was very good. I think Ian McElhenney, McElhenney, let's just say it lots of ways until we get there who people probably will recognise either from Game of Thrones or from uh, Derry Girls. I thought he was very good. But elsewhere, I mean, where was Tom Courtney? When, where was Adil Akhtar? There wasn't, where was Liz White? There wasn't a really, I thought, breadth of cast that there usually is in the, you know, just coming for the series cast. I had a big problem with the end. Mm. And I thought, number one, it was overcomplicated so overcomplicated to some degree that I basically can't really remember what happened couldn't rewatch it had to google what happened and then watched someone at radio times trying to explain what happened and having a really hard time explaining it and it becoming quite complicated I thought it was a bit daft and also thought it was a bit pat or hack or whatever you want to call it that the bad guy that's the Tory MP I mean, I could have picked that from episode one. You know, it's the Tory MP who's the terrible person. I thought that lacked quite a bit of nuance. I'm not defending Tory MPs, but you know what I mean? It just seemed a little bit, you know, because traditionally up until this point, the people that you most suspect have done it. So, yeah, I thought I was a bit disappointed, but I will say I thought 
Sanjeev Bhaskar was great. I thought he had a couple of really great sort of mic drop moments in it, mm. particularly when he tells her they've offered him the jobs loads of times and he said, fuck off. Yeah. I thought that was an excellent moment that he got. I think that was in about episode three. So that's my thoughts. Join in. Can I qualify my previous statement? I don't, I, obviously, like, the, so the people that come in every series are, like, incredible. What I meant is in the main kind of, like, the the series regulars, as it were. Obviously, Sanjeev Bhaskar, we love him. But, like, apart from, like, Nicola Walker, for me, is the main draw, or was the main draw out of the series regulars, is what I meant. Right. But um, but yeah, I take your point. Yeah, I didn't. It's hard, isn't it? Because you don't. She is really spiky to start off with, so you don't really. It is hard to warm to her because you do sort of think like you're being a bit shit. Obviously, she's got her reasons for being a bit shit, but you know she's very unprofessional. <laughs> like, she's very unprofessional. But I did. I don't know. There were like little subtle things that she does as her character that I thought, like, what's that thing that she keeps saying when they do something? Like, she's like, I, I like that. I like, I like that. or something. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I thought, I don't know. It. She felt quite, um, fuck, what's the word I'm looking for? She felt very, um, she felt very believable to me, I thought. Yeah, so, I yeah, think I Chris did, Lang I... writes complicated women pretty well. Hmm. It was a lot more political than I thought it might be. It felt like, like it, tick box some of the time. I thought a little it bit was like, quite oh, labored, this is a hot button it? topic. Yeah. This is a hot button topic. Exactly that. Tick. Oh, this one. Tick. <laughs> it's, you know, when she goes in there and she's like wanging on to Hayley Mills about. Um, Hayley Mills! About <laughs> austerity and whatever and blah, blah, blah. It's just a bit like. I don't. Also, there are a couple of things that the guy, who isn't Joe, and I can't actually even remember what his name is now, the young man who's her Jay. other grandson, Jay. There's a couple of things that he says that I'm just like he wouldn't say that. That's that is unbelievable dialogue to me. Like at the end where he goes, if it's good for the if it's good for the gander in it or whatever, and I was just like, I I don't think he would say that. And there were a couple of things like that that I was just like, this isn't believable to me. Yeah. As his dialogue. I genuinely don't think, even if you consider that they were supposed to be, you know, women who had children young, I don't think Martina Laird was anywhere near old enough to play the role that she was playing, if that makes sense. I mean, she was 50, I think she's 52 in real life or something, or she's in her 50s and she was the grandmother of a, bloke in his mid-20s I mean it her was... character was 58 she says it at one point I'm 58 right so yeah the maths does work out and they were supposed to be like very young in that generation of the, in those generations of women I thought the spark that was still there there was a lot that kept me interested Sanjeev Bhaskar like stepping up a bit I think as Sunny I think mm. Sunny got a little bit more to do and more oh, I think they're co-leads now definitely yes yeah and I did also really like how they had Cassie haunt in it. Like she is very much still a presence in her absence, which is how grief works. There's a little bit of a discussion about how grief works. And is nine months enough? Well, no, there's no time limit on it. And how that can affect relationships. I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, by the end, by that sixth episode, one big spoiler I don't like someone going down for a crime they didn't commit, even if they've done something equally appalling. You know, to me, mm. that isn't justice. That isn't something we should be applauding. And they're all like, oh, patting ourselves on the back. We've solved a complicated case. Well, you haven't. You know, you haven't solved it. And is that negated by the fact that he's not got much time left and that's why he's taking his punishment? And in that way, do we feel a bit like, well, he's doing something good now? Because obviously he's aware he's done this bad thing, Tony, the Tory MP, mm. and he, to- Tony Hume, and he's trying to correct it you know that they talk about how he swung from being this Tory MP like a proper Thatcherite to being left-wing basically and a socialist and saying we need to spend more on services and he's starting his youth centres and all of these things he's trying to make amends and so are we supposed to think 
that a good person has gone down because he's a good person now as opposed to how he was. I don't know. It's all very complicated. And I don't think there's a resolution. I don't think it... Maybe we're meant to be left with that question and that's absolutely fine. But the fact that they spent nearly an hour talking around this and it changed and it changed back and it changed. And I was just, I was kind of confused and sleepy by the end of it, if I'm honest with you. (laughs) Yeah. Because there wasn't really a resolution at the end of episode, at the end of series two. So, but the the point was they knew. (laughs) Yeah. The point was they knew there wasn't a resolution. Cassie made the decision. Mm. She was aware of what happened. She made a decision. And it was a decision that sort of haunted her. Yeah. Like in ongoing series. Whereas that isn't the case here. I don't know. But I definitely want to be clear that my dislike of it is not down to the fact that I'm not a big fan of Sinead Keenan because I didn't think that she was the problem in this at all. I thought she was good. I liked her. And I agree to like her. She does obviously yeah. have extenuating circumstances that make her a prick, but she is still a prick and kind of owns it. She's very funny. She has some really funny lines, actually. And I'm yeah. kind of looking forward to how her character develops. Yeah. And do you remember we were having that conversation last time about, I said, Emily atak has got a famous mum and we couldn't work out who it was. Mm-hmm. It's her mum in this. Is it's, it? Ah, yeah. Okay. Is she, is she called Kate Robbins? Yes, she is called Kate yeah. Robbins, which I know from the That's Emily Atak documentary because she is in that. Yeah. Okay, right. I've seen a bunch of documentaries. So has anyone seen anything that is drama-ish and then we can sort of theme up this first bit? Jen? Yep, I've seen Fleischman is in Trouble on Disney+, Plus, which isn't somewhere I normally think to go for drama. Um, and so I actually kind of stumbled across this by accident. So it's got... Quite a quite a big cast: Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and Seth Cohen. Sorry, Adam Brody. It tells the tale of newly divorced doctor Toby Fleischman, who is recovering from his marital breakdown with total witch Rachel by putting his knob in a lot of women in Manhattan. Despite this, it didn't actually occur to me. <laughs> sorry, Hannah's eye roll. I almost heard it. If I'm honest, I bet the listeners heard that. Uh, it didn't occur to me instantly to be repulsed by Toby because really his ex-wife is a total witch. She's ambitious, she's go-getting, she doesn't respect his work, she hangs out with an uber-rich elite who are all total bellends, she has zero time for Toby or their two kids and things get really out of hand when she fucks off on a yoga tree and just doesn't come back. The narrator of the piece, based on Taffy Broadser Ackner's novel, is Libby, played by Lizzie Kaplan. She's one of Toby's old college friends who he reconnects with, along with Seth Cohen. Sorry, Seth. Sorry, Adam Brody. I don't get that. He's in the OC. He's Seth Cohen in the OC, and it's like the main thing. And also, he basically plays the same character. Anyway. Okay. After his divorce, that total witch, Rachel, played by Ket played by Claire Danes, didn't like them, which drove a wedge between their friendship. Eventually, Libby happens across Missing Rachel in a park in New York and discovers that things are not as they seem. No way, as Jen! Indeed, no way! <laughs> yeah. As indeed, they are not in her own life, which we find out more about. I really enjoyed this. I don't want to say too much about it because there are twists and turns and I don't want to spoil it for people. But what I will say is up until the last episode, which I have to say I did find a bit of a Debbie Downer, if I'm honest. But up until then, (laughs) I found it really funny. I thought that it was really well observed. The twist is really smart. It has a lot to say about motherhood and career ambitions and the impact of trauma. But what I found really interesting as well was the depiction of Toby, who I discussed with friend of the podcast, Kobe, from the Flix Watcher and Wire Stripped podcasts. And we had totally different perceptions of Toby. And I would really, really love to know what other people thought about it if they've seen it. In case you're thinking, of course, Kobe stuck up for the man. It was actually the other way round, which is what I thought was interesting about it. I was going to ask if it was gendered and that could go either way. You know, women very much capable of bias as well as as men, obviously. To Kobe, this man was repellent because he was just like, this man's a prick. And he was like, he does this, he does this, he does this. He's like, I don't think you're supposed to root for him. I think you're supposed to think he's awful. Mm. And I was just like... 
I just didn't see any of that initially. It took me ages to get to that point. And some of the stuff you're saying, I still am like, that never even occurred to me. And I think it's because that kind of behaviour is completely normalised in a population of women who have, like, done the dating apps yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's what I think it is. Yeah, there is a lot of bad behaviour that is normalised on both yeah, well, sides. Well, good news for Kobe's wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> all of God. the women he knows. This is incredible stuff. Um, Kobe is available to hire from the Standard Issue podcast website. <laughs> Haven't seen him for ages. Oh, lovely Kobe. Okay, Jen, did you also watch The Bay? Because if you didn't, I just want to mention that it's back. I've I watched one like episode it. of it and I'm not okay. in love with it, to be honest. Okay. So I don't have a lot to say about it. I saw that it had uh, Joe Armstrong, Sally Wainwright yes. regular Joe Armstrong, yeah. which would be the thing that would make me watch it if yeah. I ever got round to watching it. But... Playing a sort of like, not dissim. I don't know. I mean, he's obviously involved in something dodgy, basically, is what I've gleaned from the first episode. Right. So I was a bit like, okay, I've seen you do this before, Joe. Or is it that you're carrying a bit of typecasting with you and he is brilliantly cast and he's not doing it up to something dodgy. Well, quite possibly. Quite. Okay, let's take a break. Okay, welcome back. Let's start with something that I pretty much, you know, I have no criticisms of whatsoever. It's not rocket science. It's Kathy Burke's growing up and Kathy Burke's just brilliant. Channel 4, two parts. One part on being old nowadays and one part being young nowadays. I only watch the old nowadays one because (laughs) we've done a lot about being young nowadays and I don't think there's probably much for me to learn in that episode, but I thought the old nowadays one was really interesting. I mean, Kathy Burke's just amazing, isn't she? There's so many Kathy Burke-isms here. There, There was one bit where she was talking about how old people are considered ugly and she says I've met more ugly kids than old people (laughs) (laughs) there's another bit where an old lady talks about having bits of her falling off and Kathy Burke says I've I've got bits added on I'd love bits falling off (laughs) fucking hell (laughs) it's just oh it's just priceless she she talks to some great guests because who doesn't want to talk to Kathy Burke Jennifer Saunders, who is 64 and looks amazing. She does. Absolutely amazing. Bill Bailey, who is a very fit and active man, as we know from from him winning Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah, yeah, it's just delightful. Um, She actually talks to a sociologist as well about, you know, why old people's opinions aren't seen as valid and young people's opinions are. I would like to see a bit more on that, and there wasn't more on that. But, yeah. Perhaps we would have lost some Kathy Burkisms if we had had more on that. So, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. I also watched the BBC. Uh, it's not it's a Showtime documentary, but it's on BBC. Anyone who reads the mail out will know that I watched this four part documentary called We Need to Talk About Cosby, which is made by W. Kamau Bell, who is a stand up and TV presenter in America for who Bill Cosby, you know, as a black stand-up, was an absolute icon when he was growing up, and he's very open about that, and has made this four-part documentary about, you know, what happened, when it happened, who it happened to, and what the repercussions of it were, including for people who had, like him, you know, really respected Cosby. Mm -hmm. It's got some good people in it, Obviously, I might like to have seen a bit more of Hannibal Burdess, I have to say, who was the man that essentially outed Cosby in that uh, in that stand up set he did that then went viral, which is what kicked this off. And I suppose I might like to have seen a bit more conversation about why it took a man to do that when women had been queuing up for ages to say things about Cosby. But I will say that he has victims on there and he does talk very respectfully to them and they are given a lot of airtime and in fact I would say his respect for women and marginalized people etc etc goes a bit far and if you read the mail out I feel like Sonali Rashatwa who is billed as a a sex therapist said some outrageous things on it that should have been cut Mm. absolutely should have been cut and weren't cut I think because, like I say, Bell has tried so hard to, you know, let people speak their truth that he really should have been a bit more discriminating on what people's truths were. I would say, though, Hannah, it's interesting that what they said has gone viral and been lacerated. So 
maybe that conversation ended up being had in a much more healthy way because it was in there instead of that just being accepted. Although, yeah, their opinions on consent are dodgy as fuck, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I think if I was going to sum it up, I'd say it sits sort of somewhere between Made in America. I mean, it is not Made in America by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it doesn't get the space that Made in America gets. You know, it doesn't get the budget. I mean, Made in America is like nine hours long or something. But it does make some really valuable points. And what's interesting is there's a couple of points it makes where he tells people about how crucial Cosby was to the development of black artists in America that he actually says a number of things and he tells people who knew Cosby and he says, do you know this? Did you know, for example, that he said he would only work with black stuntmen? He's the reason that black stuntmen started getting. And they were like, no, I didn't know that. And I know him really well. So, so it gives him you know, credit for the things that he did, which only goes to show the sort of crushing disappointment mm. that then people felt about him. It's also got a touch of the, I would say, so it's midway between that and the Savile documentary in that it does constantly pick at, and I mean the Netflix Savile documentary, because I think there's probably a few, it does constantly pick up threads in which you think, he's actually saying what he's doing out loud like, and nobody's noticing. Mm. Nobody's noticing. Mm. He's saying a lot of things. He talks about Sp- Spanish flight a lot yeah. in a lot of material. Yeah. And people were just, oh, ah, that's funny. And not actually thinking about it. So it's interesting on the, the Cosby sort of psyche, the abuser psyche, in that they start to, you know, brag publicly about what they're doing and getting away with. Totally. Yeah. That's success. They can't keep it to themselves. Mm. It's fascinating and appalling in equal measure, isn't it? Yeah. I'd say it's definitely worth a watch. Get all of my information about psychopaths from Dr. Grace Foley on uh, former uh, BBC cop drama Waking the Dead. Point is that someone who is truly a psychopath, right, they want to be caught, don't they? Because they can't be appreciated as the genius that they think they are if people don't find them out. I think a lot of them do, but I think they also don't want repercussions. And that's another point that's made. I mean, Cosby is out. Mm. Yeah, and Cosby was released when they were making this and you can see them going what the fuck you can actually see them reacting to it they're about to interview someone and they're setting up for an interview and they're like what so you know are there repercussions discuss mm. oh the criminal justice system I watched one episode of it the first one and I haven't managed to get back to watch the rest of them but a friend of mine said she'd seen it She'd watched all of it and she'd said she'd just finished it and she couldn't stop crying with the words she used. So it sounds like it's. Uh, Well, that wasn't my experience, but it's definitely got emotional heft in it. Yeah. Jen, you've been watching a documentary also on Channel 4. I watched the documentary Paula about journalist and TV presenter Paula Yates, who died from an accidental heroin overdose in. 2000 age 41 it's directed by charlie russell who also directed caroline flack her life and death and that is a point i would like to come back to um for anyone who doesn't know paula yates's story i think probably most of our listeners will but she was obviously a very well-known presenter she presented at the time a groundbreaking music show, The Tube. She later did the On The Bed interview section of The Big Breakfast. She was married to and had three kids with Sir Bob Geldof, who she left in 1995 for Rockstar and in excess frontman Michael Hutchins. That happened not too long after an On The Bed interview with him, which became famous for the absolutely electrically charged chemistry between the two of them. Her personal life subsequently became front-page tabloid fodder as it seemingly became increasingly chaotic to the extent that uh, she says in the documentary that Princess Diana once told her, I love it when I see you on the front page of the papers because it means I've got the day off. Mm. Although the chaos that was depicted at the time, how much of that was real and how much of it was fabricated is one of the points that sort of challenged in the documentary. Nonetheless, things did escalate after the death of Hutchins with whom she had, by that point, a young child, and that was in 1997. So after his death, 
Yates recorded a series of taped interviews with then-OK magazine journalist Martin Townsend, who she knew from the industry. Uh, They'd worked together previously. And these basically become the sort of the basis for the documentary, really. It's an interesting one. It's not salacious. It's it's very sympathetic to Paula and to Michael. It really, really highlights a lot of things about her that I'd not really considered, probably because I was a bit too young to appreciate them at the time, like how good she was as an interviewer, mm. um, how she built this kind of character as part of that. Like it wasn't this sort of fluffy thing. It was a very considered and purposeful thing that she'd built in order to get these these interviews out of people. It talks about what a trailblazer she was for women. And, you know, she definitely was, but also how much she was punished for that by the media. The thing that I take some issue with is, number one, that this documentary, the setup of it kind of centres this man who was part of a system that 100% contributed to her untimely death. Mm. Um, But also the format of the Tragic Dead Woman documentary, see also Caroline Flack, Amy Winehouse, etc. All of these documentaries tell the same story, a famous woman who treads a slightly different path and as punishment, the media hound them to death. And that is a very simplistic view I don't think these ha- these things happen for any one reason. I think it's way too too simple to say that. And I say that, obviously, as someone whose brother died by suicide. So I feel slightly entitled to have a, a view on that. Yeah. But it's definitely part of it. Like, the way they're treated by the media is 100% part of it. These documentaries just get churned out again and again and again. But nothing gets learnt, like no lesson is learnt from it. And they just tell the same story and say, what's the point? Because what the the issue that I take with it, I think, is that it becomes, it's not meant to be salacious, but that's what it becomes. It becomes this kind of hideous schadenfreude. Poor Paula, Caroline, Amy, etc. Aren't we glad we're not as fucked up as they were? It's clickbait, isn't it, really? Or sort of yeah. the, the level of clickbait. It's difficult, isn't it? Because there's a thin line. Because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about how, you know, a lot of documentaries now are reassessing what went on in the 90s because we have this idea that the 90s were amazing. There's been a look at what happened to... A reassessment of what happened to Lorena Bobbitt. There's been a reassessment of what happened to Pamela Anderson. And I think those things should be talked about and should be reassessed. We should be reminded. Life might have been better that we got rid of Thatcher and all of that, but women were still being punished for their decisions and... You know, and everything was dealt with in a then in a really salacious fashion, like oh, sex tape, oh, she cut his knob off. Soap opera-ish isn't the right word. Sensationalist. But, you know, I mean, mm. Yeah, that is the word I'm searching for. But I would say that the Loretta Bobbitt documentary is brilliant. So there must be a way to do it that doesn't leave you feeling like she's that. in it though. She's in it, isn't she? Right? Yeah, she Loretta Bobbitt's in it. Paulie Yates is in it. Amy Winehouse well, is. is it. Well. She isn't, she isn't. She's not in it now looking back at those interviews and going, I've changed my mind or why did I talk to this man? That it's very much a a kind of, what do they call it? An unofficial autobiography. Well, this is the other thing, isn't it? Are there some questions around that? Because obviously she she recorded these interviews with this guy, but like she's not actually been able to give her consent to how they then get used. Do you know what I mean? She's she's dead and, and he puts them in the public domain and blah, blah, blah. And it's all stuff that she obviously wanted on record at the time. But would she have wanted that, you know, later on? Who knows? So I think that's an interesting question. But what I'd say also about the Lorena Bobbitt thing is that probably a lot of that stuff was less widely known. Yeah, I agree. Well, certainly in this country, whereas I think with the Paulie Yates thing and that specific question, I get what you're saying about reassessing and I agree, like we should reassess things and we should talk about the the paparazzi and the, and mm. the press tactics because they talk about like phone hacking. So they talk about all of that kind of stuff, which obviously, you know, the phone hacking stuff, that's still going on. Like there's still mm. cases ongoing related to that. So do you think it is stuff that absolutely warrants discussion but but we know that the press in the 90s was fucked like we know that that tabloid press was fucked so what are we gaining from it because it also seems to me that like actually not a lot has changed but isn't there a bit where she's she's literally been just telling him 
that she feels suicidal, that she's really struggling. And because the interview's going well, he goes, oh, you seem fine. Like, okay, so this man is not listening to what this woman is telling him in an interview. And I guess the big question around this documentary, which I haven't seen, but also the documentaries I have seen that as Jen has labelled them tragic dead woman, is like, who benefits? Who benefits from this existing? And in this case, the Paula documentary, it feels like it's this guy, this journalist. Yeah, Channel 4. So there's an interesting thing about Paula Yates is that um, she was teetotal, apparently famously so. Mm, She was teetotal until after Hutchins died. And then that's when this spiral began. And then there's a bit like in um, in the interview where, you know, like... He's like, right, let's get a bottle of Bollinger then and like blah, 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 blah. And they said to him, like, you know, did she, did you think she had a drinking problem? And he's, he's like, well, we all had drinking problems, you know. He's subsequently like given up drinking because mm. he drank too much. And he sort of says that is the culture of the day kind of thing. Because he was part of that tabloid kind of, um, you know. Circus. Industries. Yeah, circus. And they're like, you know, did you ever feel bad, you know, about what you did? And he has obviously found a way to justify his part in that over the years. He sort of said, well, it's it's basically just, you know, what we're all doing. So we just did it. So no, not really. But there were times where I did sort of feel like maybe that person can't handle this. But, you know, but but you did it. And here you are talking about it as if like you know you're not complicit it's it's weird mickey i believe that you've got something documentary-ish for us nature program that's documentary-ish isn't it and i mean it'll come as no surprise to anyone listening that i'm watching wild isles which is how you have to say it a bit like wild boar wild isles uh the new david attenborough and i have spoken about it on the podcast already in the Bush Telegraph because the BBC aren't screening on the telly, like the, you know, the proper telly, uh, episode six, which is all about rewilding and how we fucked up our wild isles. So I had a whinge about that. I'm two episodes Sigh. in. Exactly. I'm two episodes in. It's classic Attenborough. It is utterly lovely. Like the UK is majestic. I would say the UK and Ireland because Ireland is involved as well. The UK is majestic. Our wildlife is incredible, but we are absolutely denaturing at a rate of knots and it's really upsetting. On the back of what I said in the Bush Telegraph about how this episode isn't airing, it's just going to be on the iPlayer, and the BBC have gone, oh, we were only ever going to put it on the iPlayer. Well, one, why? If that is true, well, why? Mm. And it's so they don't offend people that they don't want to offend. The Tories. I'm talking about the Tories. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why would they not want to offend the Tories? Partisan, non-partisan BBC. But also, in the David Attenboroughs of late, in the most recent series, every single episode has a little bit at the end where he goes, we're fucking this up. He doesn't say that because he's David Attenborough Mm. and he's lovely and much more eloquent than me. But he says, we're we're fucking this up. What are we going to do about it? But we can change it. And that is absent in this entire series. And it feels like maybe they pushed all of that at this episode six that isn't going to air on terrestrial TV, I think is the correct name for it, isn't it? Not proper telly. Mm. And I find that very interesting and quite sad. Even if you are a climate change denier, even if you don't believe any of this stuff, the very fact that that what they're showing is evidence Mm. of wildlife struggling to exist in this, that's not political. A fact isn't political, especially. It's just a fact. It's what people do with that fact that politicises it, isn't it? Exactly that, Hannah. If you want to be distracted, though, there's some incredible leaping squirrels. There's some lovely yes, badgers. Yep. There's some there's some stags and does doing stuff in a forest. I've made that sound ruder than it is, but they're aiming for that. They don't quite get there. We don't get to watch that. And just as a passing note on that, there's a glorious scene of a stag shouting in rutting season. And my mate Matt Hyton has put it on YouTube and he's put Partridge going, Dan, 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 <laughs> over the top of a stag shouting in a forest. And if that's the only nature fix you get this week, like, go for it. Okay, I have one last thing to talk about. I don't know whether Jen, Jen, did you watch it or not? Did you watch Finding Michael? 
I haven't, no, I've not had time to. I'm interested to know what your take is, though. Okay, so it's on Disney. It is a documentary by Spencer Matthews, who is trying to find the body of his brother who died on Mount Everest, aged 22, in 1999. Now, you might wonder why I watched this. I read in, I know, the late 90s, I read Into Thin Air, which is a non-fiction book about the 1996 Everest disaster. And I've been kind of fascinated about it ever since because hubris is fascinating. Mm. And people develop this relationship, don't they, with Mount Everest, where they think it's about them and the mountain. And you're like, for you, it's about the mountain. For the mountain, it doesn't give a fuck. That's why I watched it. And I have to say, I went in with absolutely no preconceptions because Jen had to explain to me who Spencer Matthews was. I didn't know who he was. So everything I'm about to say doesn't come from a position of me already thinking that he was a twat. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen some really, really good reviews of this and I am befuddled by them, Uh I have to say. It's an hour and a half long. It's made by... Bear Grylls's production house. Bear Grylls and Spencer Matthews know each other because they're all very posh, aren't they? Yeah. And they all know each other. Oh, is he Chelsea rather than Towie? Yeah, he's made in Chelsea, yeah. Okay. Right. This should be fantastic because it's about a really interesting subject made by someone with a personal connection to it. But this spends way too long on the personal connection to it and nothing on what it might tell us about the wider picture. And yet what it does with the personal connection, it does on a really shallow level. You've got Bear Grylls saying things like, oh, seven people die a year on Everest. And they do. But the point is, it doesn't really make clear that that's not a figure that's spread out over a year. That's a figure that's spread out over the Everest season, which is about a month long. Mm. So it's actually seven people dying in a really short space of time. And it never focuses in on that wider picture. It doesn't focus on the community aspect at all. You know, there's a great bit where he goes past, they're called prayer wheels, on the trek up there. And the guy who's taking him, who is a local, does that with the prayer wheels and rolls them. And uh, Spencer Matthews goes, oh, what are they then? And he says, they're prayer wheels. And he goes, oh, shall I make a wish? And that... (laughs) That kind of explains the the level of, of interest that this is actually a place where people live. There's a bit where they first see Everest Base Camp and he says, oh, it's massive, right? <laughs> With no question of whether or not the size of a base camp and the amount of people climbing Everest has any connection to the amount of people that die on Everest. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning that his brother died in 1999 which is three years after the big Everest disaster in which eight people died in a single day there and they were all part of the same. There were there were two groups that have sort of joined together and went up there. They made a film about it, I think it had Jake Gyllenhaal in mm. it. I think it's just called Everest. And after that disaster, a lot of questions started to be asked about who was climbing Everest. Were they qualified enough? Was this really dangerous? If all it took to climb Everest was money, is that enough? Should there be something else? Should you at least manage to hit some level of sort of fitness or ability to do this? Should you have some sort of skills? And no question about any of that. Up until the point where they where they get to the point where they can't find his brother, spoiler alert, at that point, they decide, he decides he, he's going to get his the guys he's paying to do this, the Sherpas, to bring somebody else down. And that's the first time they really recognise that other people are dead on that mountain. Mm. I mean, they find some other dead bodies. It doesn't treat that with much respect at all. There's no consideration for the fact that there's a shitload of litter on Everest, on the environmental damage, that the Hillary step is, is collapsing. And he's just down at the bottom on his walkie-talkie going, come on, guys, tell me what's going on up there. Well, they are risking their lives attempting to bring his brother back down. And he comes across as really fucking entitled. I have to say, really rich and really entitled. And then, like I say, he decides to change the plan on them at the last minute in order to look magnanimous and say, oh, maybe you could bring somebody else down. Bring down a Sherpa. Right, so they bring down a dead Sherpa and then he goes and gives the body and I'm like, you've done nothing towards this. You've literally just paid for it and taken a film crew up there. You haven't put any... It's the British way, Hannah. What is your problem? Yeah. 
he just comes across as really, really entitled. And okay, if you're going to say this isn't about the bigger picture, this is just a story about one man and his mission to find his brother and say none of that other stuff is relevant, no need to mention the environment, then it needed a tighter focus on him. And it doesn't. There's a point at which he says, I just feel really angry about it. And nobody asks him the question, angry at who? Yeah, what? Angry at what? Are you angry at your brother that he did it? Are you angry at the world, at the mountain? Just just say something else other than, I feel really angry. I mean, it doesn't even explain who he is. Like I say, I had to go to Jim for an explanation of who he was. It, it really, it lacks a lot of what I would call basic information. And it just seems like a really squandered opportunity. Why not widen it out and show the full picture? I hope they don't like show you... The actual people, do they? Cause... Well, there's been a bit of a to-do about that because it was delayed by Disney because Disney decided to blur out the bodies. Well, yeah. So that its launch was delayed. Because what if yeah. you're watching that and, oh, look, there's my brother. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I know that, that probably sounds like a stupid thing to say, mm. but like, but for pe- other people who have lost people on Everest, there's going to be like the, well, maybe that's my... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. I think that it would be really wrong... And also disrespectful to the people who are dead. Like, I don't know. But I, I, so I read a review of it by a friend of the podcast, Julia Rayside, who sort of made the point that um, he stays like he stays at the, the base camp because he's like, you know, my mum can't lose another child to Everest kind of thing. Which is that like seems not, like an excuse to me rather but than... But it's not, you yeah. know, it's not an unreasonable yeah. reason to... Jen, can like, I just say, you'll love this. There's a bit where he's on his walkie-talkie, right? And the guy up on the mountain is saying, yeah, we have found a body over. And he and he just says, can you tell me who it is? <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, for all of yeah. your manhood, that you, all of the machismo that's going on in this, you don't even know to say over when you finished on the... Even Alan Partridge knows to say over. <laughs> Sorry, carry it's, on, Jen. No, I, get, I think, like, the point that she kind of makes is that, like, ultimately there are questions about, like... I think you've already sort of said this really, Hannah, from your interpretation of it, you know, like, like from your reading of it, but she's like, there is there is a big question that isn't really answered about this idea about basically like rich men and their silly pursuits mm. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's, well, it's hubris. The, the point yeah. is, it is hubris. And, and like I say, three years after, because one of the guys that died in the 1996 one Rob Hall, quite a famous New Zealander, mountaineer, died, you know, and was very, very experienced. And the, the, the idea that there isn't a contrast with a 22-year-old who basically goes on a jolly with his friends to climb a mountain, that there is no question ever at all in this about whether or not some people are suited to doing it or not. Hannah, I sort of think that about the London Marathon, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there should be like a bit of a question about have you, you know, really done some training, though, before yeah. you're allowed to do the fucking London Marathon. OK, well, on that note, five more sleeps till succession. I was going to try and attempt some uh, piano music with my face, but I believe that. I'll leave that to Jen. <laughs> You're welcome. Outside the box.